So we've been in a series called Characters, and we're just talking about the different people in the Bible, and, and I was hoping to be done by now, but we just keep seemingly to go on, and, and uh, maybe next week we'll be done, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but we've talked about Abraham and faith. We've talked about Paul and Leah and Ruth and Gideon, and, and today we want to talk about Daniel. In fact, there's a book in the Bible named after him in the Old Testament. And the background of Daniel, the man, is kind of interesting. In those days when Daniel lived, armies would invade other nations. And one of the things that they would do after they invaded the nation is they would get together all the best that they had, the, the most learned, the most um, talented, the most gifted, the most skilled, and they would take them captive and bring them back to the mother country from where that, that army was from. And Daniel fell into that situation. It was six. 605 B.C., before Christ, when actually we see this happening, this story unfold. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had come, and he had overcome and Israel and Jerusalem, and, and, uh, and, and he took back some people uh, captive with him that were the best of the best. And Daniel happened to be in that, in that lot. It was the new world power, Babylon, at that time, and, and they were conquering people left and right everywhere they went. And so Babylon sat next to the Euphrates River, and here's how powerful of a city Babylon was. It was surrounded by a wall that was 11 miles long. Can you imagine a wall that, that long? But get this, it was 85 feet thick, the wall was. And get this, it was 350 feet high. That's like a 35-story building, 11 miles long. It was, a, it was inconquerable. You couldn't penetrate this, this city of Babylon. It was the world power by any stretch of the imagination. It had 43 different temples inside of the city. They had a population of about a half a million people. And this is where Daniel arrives. He'd never been to Babylon, never heard anything about I'm sure he heard about it. We estimate he was about 13 or 15 years old. The Bible tells us, he was, tells us he was intelligent. He was a good-looking man. He was put into a three-year Babylonian training program where they began to teach him philosophy and science and astrology and religion and medicine and language of that time. And, and so for three years, he and, and his friends, his other three Hebrew friends, would, were, would learn a Babylonian culture. But the problem, one of the problems was the fact that the Babylonians were a polycentric uh, poly, uh, type of uh, believer, people. They, they had all sorts of gods. They did not have one god. They have all sorts of god, polytheistic. And, and so they tried to indoctrinate Daniel and his, his friends by giving them meat we believe, it was sacrificed to these idols. It was one of the ways to kind of incorporate them into the religious system. Man, Daniel and his friends had a problem with that because where they came from, if whatever, when you eat and share a meal with someone, you're actually committing to a friendship. And they didn't want to commit to a friendship in this kind of a culture. And so they had a dilemma. What do we do? I, we can't eat this meat. And so they devised a, a, a plan, a very, a very good plan, that um, they would change their diet and show even the Hebrew officials what another diet would look like and the results of that diet, how it's even better. And so that's, they kind of worked a way around that. But Babylon did everything they could to kind of saturate them into their culture. So much so they would have even changed the names of them. 
fact, Daniel's name would be called, changed to a Babylonian name called Belshazzar. And, and Hananiah would be called Shadrach. And Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah would become the Babylonian name Abednego. How many remember those names? The three, maybe you refer to those, remember those names from childhood. Shadrach, Meshach, and I thought to the bed we go is what I thought they were saying. I never knew. It was Abednego. And so, I want to look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I want to read this. I want, to, I want us just to kind of put our foot a little bit into the water this morning. We'll come back hopefully next week and delve in a little bit deeper. But I really believe what I have to share with you this morning, I think it could be actually something that is, that is a mind and life-changing um, message for you. I believe if you will take to heart what I share with you this morning, and put it before the Lord, ask God just to shine more light on it, I believe it will aspire you and inspire you to, in some ways that, that God's been wanting to inspire you for a while. Because as we sang this morning, the body of Christ, the church, is, is powerful and because God is powerful. And so let's read this together. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, these young men who had been training after three years. And the king talked with them, and he found, get this, none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so these three and Daniel entered into the king's service. Now remember, he said he found none equal to them. In other words, they were like beyond anybody else. In fact, it goes on to say that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found these four young men, get this, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. These three, four individuals, young men, after three years of being immersed into a heathenistic culture, come out of this training and reveal to this king something that he couldn't believe. They were ten times better, more intelligent, more intellectual, more wise than anybody else he had run into. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell him, are you a wise guy? Ask him the question, are you a wise guy? And I'm sure some of you would say, yes, I am. But here's the point I want to make to you this morning that the Christian, can I say that uh, the Christian worldview that we espouse to, the Christian worldview is 10 times better than any other belief system or worldview that anybody could ever find in the whole globe. What we believe and what we stand for and how we go about living our lives is 10 times better than anything you will ever find anywhere else in any book, in any library, in any audio tape, it's 10 times better. I was talking to, um, I mentioned this I think a while back, Senator Tuberville a couple weeks ago, and he brought out to me something I did not know. And he said, JP, he said to us, he said, we are in a fight for our lives as Christians. And he said, have you ever thought about the fact that 80% of the world hates Christianity or is against it if they don't hate it. They're just not for it, they're against it. And I thought, I've never thought about that. But that is true in so many ways. I mean, you can go and see that in the Middle East, <clears throat> the Muslim religion, they hate a Christian. <clears throat> I mean, hate, I'm talking hate, and I use that word very real. Many, many do. Hindus in India, 
despise Christianity and try to quench it. The atheists in Europe and Japan try to quench the church and the voice of Christ. The communists in Russia, Cuba, China hate Christianity. The Buddhists in Nepal, Tibet, they hate Christianity. They will put you in jail if they hear you talking about Christianity. Can I tell you that the world hates what you believe in? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Isn't this good news? And the Christian, but, the, but, but I don't understand it in so many ways because the Christian worldview is an incredible worldview. It, it, it teaches you don't lie, but tell the truth. It tells you don't cheat. Don't you know, mess around with your neighbor's wife. Don't kill anybody. Uh, love your neighbor. Work hard. Don't be selfish. Be a generous person. Be, be full of the truth and integrity. And for some reason, with all these things that the Christian believes, the world hates you. And you have to scratch your head and go, how can this be? These are wonderful attributes to be added to any culture. Why would the world hate us? Why is it taboo for me to speak against uh, what a Muslim would believe or a Buddhist would believe or talk about abortion or people who claim different genders or all those kind of how can How come people can talk about that all day long, but the moment, Lord help you, you say Jesus. The hate is on. You can hate on a Christian all day long. You can, you can say whatever you want to say about them. You can write whatever you want to say about them. You can belittle them. You can tell them they're, 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 they're lost in their mind. They have no idea what they're talking about. And, and I believe even social media has come to a point where in, in, in the Romans times, they had coliseums and they put the Christians out in the coliseum and they would mock them and make fun of them. Eventually, they would try to kill them. I believe even to some degree, the social media of our hours become the Roman Colosseum of yesterday. And now we have this belief called cancel culture where I can say whatever I want to say, but you can't say what you want to say if it has something to do with Jesus. And we talk about, and I know, I know what this is about, we, 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 we espouse the word, hey, respect. You have to have respect. You have to show respect for one another's beliefs. And so I'll say, yes, I need to show you respect for what you believe, and I will do that. And then once I say Jesus, oh, well, you can't talk about him. Wait, 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 what? what? That just happened. I thought you said we're, we're having this respect thing going on. No, no. It, Christianity is off the table. Jesus... His word, Jesus, is a polarizing word, isn't it? Jesus creates a response wherever he's mentioned. I can talk about Muhammad all day and people yawn. I can talk about Buddha all day long. They look the other way. I can talk about the teachings of Marx all day long and they, they, they walk on down the road. I say, Jesus? And suddenly everybody goes, whoa, 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 whoa. don't bring that up in this don't bring it up here. This, this is an office. This is a school. This is a, this, this is a, this is a place where we don't, we don't talk about religion. And so gradually the church just sits on the sideline, folds our hands, and keeps to themselves until a moment like this on a Sunday morning where you feel free, you can talk about Jesus. Can I just challenge that thought for a minute that maybe it's not supposed to be we only talk and celebrate Jesus here, but maybe it's supposed to be out there, come on, where you're not supposed to talk about Jesus. 
Well, some people say, well, yeah, the moment, you know, you, listen, you, 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 you think you're better than anyone else. You talk about Jesus and, and you know, you, who do you think you are? You, you think you, you're somebody, you're somebody special and, and they give you that feedback and I say, yeah, you know what? I think I'm better. I'm not better than anybody else, but I think I'm better than I was and for that, you need to hear what I have to say to you. This is why people hated Hated on Jesus. Jesus answered. They said, we got to know who you are. He goes, oh, you want to know who I am? Okay, I'm going to tell you who I am. He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Earlier, the, Jesus shared the same thing, that he, was the, the, he and the Father were one. And immediately when he said he and the Father are one, they picked up stones and began to have a rock concert with Jesus being at the head of the platform. They were going to stone him because he actually audaciously entertained the thought that we ourselves could have a relationship with God the Father. And the moment that you tell people that you can have a relationship with God the Father, either they will be so happy and, and tell me more, or they will look at you and they will spurn you and they will pick up rocks and they will throw them at you. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning that's been there and knows what I'm talking about. It's the word Jesus in the name of Jesus. And there is uh, only one way to live life. There's not many ways to live life. There's not many beliefs. There's not many roads to lead to God. How many have heard people go, well, it really don't matter what you believe because all roads lead to God. Baloney! You're deceived! I'd be like, you know, get in my car. I live in New York, and where, where are we going, JP? I, I want to go home. But, and, and I get in the car, and the cab driver goes, where do you want to go? And I go, well, you know, it don't matter. All roads lead to my house. <laughs> really? Well, let's just go to Canada. You know, we'll go to Alaska. There are not alternate belief systems that are equally acceptable. There are not alternate worldviews that are okay on the same playing field. There are not optional philosophies of truth that somehow randomly come together and we all get to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I'm sorry, no man comes to the Father unless he bows his knee and cries out for mercy and forgiveness and comes to the Father. Well, you, you, you know, you talk like that, Pastor, and you don't respect what I believe. No, I, listen, here's the deal. I can respect what you believe and still not agree with you. I respect what you believe. But talk to me. Let's have coffee. Let's talk. I, but just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I don't respect you. But the culture that we live in, the counterculture is saying, you can't say anything other than what we tell you to say. And if you try to expose anything about Jesus, if you try to tell us about Jesus and living righteous and holy and godly and all these kind of things, then, then listen, we, we, we got to stop talking because that's not right. That's off the table. I'm here to tell you we need to cancel the cancel culture. Come on, somebody. So Daniel chapter 6, the reason I'm talking about this guy, it's been in my heart for a while. I love this man, Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, but let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. When we pick up Daniel chapter 6, which we'll read maybe, maybe a little bit next week, 
about Daniel in the lion's den. But when we pick up the story, he's at this point, Daniel chapter 6, he's 80 years old. He's not a spring chicken anymore. He's been in Babylon for about 65 years. He's worked under five different administrations. I mean, a new administration would come, a new president, a new king would come, and they would get rid of everybody except Daniel. We've got to keep Daniel. This, this guy is just amazing. Five different administrations this guy Daniel progressed through until he's 80 years old. And when it comes to this story where Darius is now the king of the country, of the land, he makes Daniel his number two right-hand man. So basically, Darius is the king as a puppet, but, but Daniel's calling all the shots. Incredible man, a man who loved God in a culture where no one wanted God. They all had their own God, which fit their belief systems. But he stands head and shoulders above everyone. And now, because of this, the other leaders are jealous, and they want to cancel him. They, wanna, they want his position. They want to remove him from power. They want to, they feel like he's holding them back. We're more progressive, and he's not progressive enough. He's still stuck in the old Bible times. We want to move on. This is Babylon. We, we're magicians, and we're astrologers, and we're, we're, we know a lot about science. And, and Daniel's stuck in, back in time and this old belief where there's only one God, and that, where's that come from? There's many gods. Oh, this is crazy stuff. And we need to remove him. We need to cancel him out. Uh, we need, and let me tell you, I lived up in the Northeast for a period of time, and I just don't know if you know this or not, but the general public in the Northeast or the West Coast uh, looks at you as nothing but a flyover state, and you're not doing nothing but holding them back. And if we could just get rid of them people down south that don't wear shoes and talk like hillbillies and, you know, say roll tide every time you turn around, and if we could just get rid of them, we can move on and be somebody. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding you at all. And here is just Daniel, and he's just a, a pillar of godliness and they said, we got to take him out, so we got to find some dirt. We got to, you know, check his phone, check his email account, check it. Come on, let's get his computer. Let's, let's find some dirt on this guy. And they can't find nothing. Let's put, some, let's put some guys on him and let's just kind of follow him around and see maybe he's got cheating on the side. They can't find nothing. This guy is squeaky clean. And they said to them, how are we going to get him out of the way? What are we going to do? So they came up with this little scheme, and we'll talk about that perhaps later. But can I just say this? Not everybody loves you, and a lot of people dislike you. In fact, have you ever heard of the crab in a bucket analogy? I'm talking with the young people for just a second. The crab in a bucket analogy. You put one crab in a bucket, and the crab will crawl out of the bucket. You put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, you can walk out of the building, come back hours later, and they're all in the bucket. Do you know why? Because as soon as one of them tries to crawl up the side of the bucket, the other crabs pull them down. It's called the crab in the bucket analogy. And that's what we live in a world that all they do, as soon as you try to aspire to be righteous and live 
godly and holy and to know God and to hear his voice and to walk in his precepts and live in the gifts of the Spirit and operate in the fruits of the Spirit? Well, who do you think you are? You think you're somebody special? Oh, you're just like all the rest of us crabs. Get on down here. Get on down with us crabs. <laughs> but you got to... You, you know what you got to do? You got to kick the crabs to the side. Come on. Just kick the crabs. I don't care what you, get your little crabby fingers off of me. I'm climbing out of this bucket. <laughs> you get a, if you get a new job, researchers show, you get a new job, 20% of the people on that job will like you. They just like you. 60% on that new job could care less about you. They're just indifferent. I don't know, I have a new guy, in the, new, new, new guy in, the, in the cubicle down the, down the hall. Oh, that's, that's cool. All right, see, yeah, I'll meet him sometime. They don't care. Then there's 20% that do not like you. This is the way it's going to be. They don't like what you wear. They don't know how you talk. Your hair is all weird. You know, they, they, they don't like you. There, there will always be crabs in a bucket. But we have to live in this world where we, we rise above and we become as Daniel. Look at this, Proverbs 29, 25. It's dangerous to be concerned what others think of you. But if you trust in the Lord, you're safe. Can I say it like this? The quickest way to forget what God says about you is to value what everyone else says about you. Forget what everyone else thinks about you. Be your own person. Be your own person. In fact, why you, while you're being your own person, be like Christ. Come on. That's what you need to be. So quickly, how to cancel the culture that tries to cancel you. And here's my only point this morning. I'm not done, but it's my only point. <laughs> you need to position yourself to lead. Position yourself to lead. All of us here are leaders. You're leading something. You're leading your life, you're leading your family, you're leading your children, you're leading your peers, you're leading somebody or people on your job, you're leading in your community. We're all leaders to some degree. So it's, he says, chapter one, excuse me, chapter six, verses one and two, English Standard Version, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred satraps. A satrap is like a governor over a region. To be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, and whom Daniel was one of those three to whom the governors would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Every culture, let me say this, every culture, ours included, is being led by a group of people at the top making decisions. We're all living under some kind of a rule or rules because somebody else is making the decisions. How many know what I'm talking about? Did you know that 97% of the culture is actually only led by 3%? 3% of our culture in America is, being, is leading the rest of us 97%. So you have to wonder, well, who are these people leading our culture? Where are they at? And how come some of them are making some stupid decisions? Can, can I say it like that? <laughs> so, and back in the 70s, I believe it was, 
Bill Bright, who is the founder of uh, Youth for Christ, Lauren Cunningham, who was the founder of Youth with a Mission, two different kind of, you know, different beliefs, but wonderful men, knew, each, knew of each other but didn't know each other. They both had a, a philanthropist that gave to the, both of their ministries. And so this very generous man said, I want you all to meet. And so they said, okay, we'll meet. And so uh, Lauren Cunningham, Youth with a Mission, met with Bill Bright in Colorado, and they begin to talk, and Bill Bright began to discuss with him how he really had a heart to see our culture transformed. And he had written down different areas of our culture that he felt were affecting our culture. And Lord Cunningham was like shocked because the Lord had also been showing him the same thing. In fact, they compared notes. They had the same breakdowns in their culture, a couple of them were different names, but the same concept and the same agreement. And they came together and they, they, they began to share how all of our nation and every nation is broken down into seven divisions, seven different spheres, and whoever rules is ruling in that particular sphere determines how everyone else is going to live. Now, the Bible tells me and it tells you that we are the head, not the we're above, not... And so for some, some way, we got to get this down in our spirit that God's called us to all as a collective church and a body of Christ to be what? Leaders. There's, we are the, we're the one that sets the temperature of the water, the temperature of the room, that we're not thermometers, we're thermostats. We're, we're the ones that determine what goes and what... We're the Daniels of the hour. That God's asking us, will you consider the fact that my hand could be so great upon your life that you could be an idiot here, but if you'll let me, I'll cause you to be wise, uh, full of wisdom and knowledge beyond your years, uh, and you will be ten times greater and wiser than anybody else because I, the God of all gods, is leading you and speaking you and causing you to stand and make decisions that I am proud of. Yeah, you can be that person. So in Ezekiel, it says in chapter 6 that the Lord, when they're slain, said, you shall know that I am the Lord when they're slain, lie among their idols around their altars, where? On every high hill and even on the mountaintops. Again, referring to us that at the head of every sphere of our culture, seven different areas, whoever is at the mountaintop or on the top of that sphere making decisions decides what everyone else is going to do and believe. And I, I used to believe that Jesus' mandate, go into all the world and preach the gospel, was a geographical mandate that we need to go put our shoes on in suitcases and we need to go into the world. And I still believe that and have done that. But I believe it even means more that we, we now the world has shrunk and we all are connected. I'm connected to people in India when I'm trying to fix my computer. Come on, how's that work, right? I, they don't even know. I try, I'm trying to get answers to a problem about my phone and I'm talking to someone in Pakistan. I don't understand this, but we're all connected now. 
So we don't, the geographical going to the world is happening all the time, but, but I believe even more now what we have to understand is he's telling us, I need you to go into every sphere of society where, every, where everybody is ruling in your culture and you need to be a leader. You need to, you need to cause it to become transformed and become, you know, saved and Christianized and become like God, like God's kingdom should look. And so today, I want to give you seven mountains of cultural influence in our land. And when you talk, when we talk about this, when you go, well, what do I pray about during the week? What are some things I need to pray? Here are seven areas that you need to be praying about all week long. Number one, one sphere of influence is obviously the government, right? That's a, that's a given, government. Proverbs 21, one encouraging to me, it says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord, and God turns it wherever he wants. Boy, I tell you, that has given me so much hope so many times, that when I see and feel like somebody's operating in a position of governmental influence that I don't agree with, I remind myself, but actually, God's it knows this, and God's going to turn his heart as the streams in the south. He's really a puppet being used of God. As long as I keep him and pray for him or her all the time. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 too, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Isn't that the truth? But when the wicked beareth rule, the people are mourning. I believe our society is looking for people that will solve problems. That's what they're looking for. And they really don't care what you believe as long as you can solve problems. I, they really don't care what you believe as long as you can add more money into the business account. They don't care what you believe as long as you can run the ball fast and get down to the other end zone before everybody else can catch you. You can believe you know, mushrooms, uh, you know, are, are, are the gods of the world. I don't care, just run, you know, and get the job done. And, but, 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 but when you start to get jobs done, when you start to get things done and, and solving problems, guess what? You begin to get a platform that God's given you. And everyone in this room has, is here to solve a problem or problems. There are problems that you were born to solve. And so, and so, so this guy, uh, Joseph in the Bible, the Old Testament, he's in, a, he's in a cell, he's in a jail cell. And there's a problem. The king has a dream and he can't get anybody to interpret the dream. He has a problem. And they've tried everybody, they've asked everybody. No one knows the answer to his dream. Finally, a guy steps up, hey, um, I know this is kind of dumb, but uh, I was in jail not too long ago. There's a guy, inmate number 762, uh, right down from the hall from me, and, and you know, he, he like interpreted my dream. Really? Now, Pharaoh had, he could care less about anybody in the jail. He didn't know nothing about people in jail. He didn't know if Joseph was even in the jail. But when he found out that this, there was a guy that could solve a problem, he goes, well, send him for me. And they went and plucked this guy out of jail, 762, I made that up, and pulls him into the palace, 
cleans him up, clean, cuts his hair, cuts his nails, and cleans them all up. And, then, and, and a couple hours later, Joseph is standing before a king of all the world, and he's solving a problem because God is speaking to him. He was, he was handing out magazines from racks a few hours ago to the inmates, and now he's standing before the king. The king gives him a, 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 a dream that he had, and God gives him a download, a word of wisdom, and he speaks it to the king. The king goes, yes, that's what it means. You know what? You're number two in the land from right now, from now on. How does that happen? Except the fact that if you're a problem solver, you're elevated. And what our government needs is people that will solve problems. And who better to solve a problem than people that can, that can hear from God and who know the Lord? Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're a problem solver. Tell them they need to hear that. So what we need is we need, we need Christian presidents. We need Christian governors. We need Christian senators and Christian representatives and Christian mayors and Christian city councilmen and city <laughs> election officers and city school board members, uh, city, uh, Christian school board members and Christian election officers. We need, we need people, the fruit of the earth, the salt of the earth to be in these places of significant influence. In fact, uh, do we have any... In, I don't think we have a president here or even a senator. Well, I doubt even a representative or even a mayor. But do, is there anybody here that works in the city or the government to some degree? Maybe you're a city councilman. Maybe you just work for the city. So some reason, you know, maybe you don't want to be seen right now, but would you stand? You know, maybe this is a risky move, but would you stand? Come on, I know we got a city councilman right here. Awesome. Anybody else in the room? Anybody else? Anybody? Am I, yeah, keep standing, keep standing. I'm sorry, keep standing, keep standing, please. So you know what? You're important. In fact, there should be 10 times more of you all. So we have, we have future mayors in this room right now. We have future city councilmen in this room right now. We have, we have future representatives, senators, perhaps even governors, perhaps a president. You can do anything you want to do if you let God use your life. I just feel we need to pray. I want you to extend your hands towards these individuals standing. And I want to pray for them. Father, we thank you that you put them in a place of influence. And we pray that you'll add to their numbers. We ask that you'll give them downloads from heaven. And they will walk with the wisdom of Almighty God. And they will, Lord, be supernaturally gifted to solve problems that others cannot even seem to solve. I pray for their health. I pray for their finances. I pray that they will stand strong in this position that you place them. And we ask that you will add others to their place in the days and years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. One more time, give it up for these gentlemen here this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't believe I'm out of time. Amanda, you need to come wherever you're at. And close this thing down. I'll give you one more while she comes and then we'll be done. Seven cultures, seven spheres, one government, the second one media. 
The media determines the flow of information within the society. And what we need is a media that tells the truth. Just tell me the truth. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not dumb. I wasn't born yesterday. I can figure it out. Just give me the facts. Give me the truth and don't taint it with your view. Just give me the, t- give me the truth. I can decipher it myself. But we have a media that determines the flow of information. They determine the narrative and they determine the belief system that a society will embrace. And they, they sway viewpoints of an entire society. And they they determine the talking points of what we're going to talk about or can't talk about. And they, 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 when a media can silence a president of the United States' voice, then you know you've got a media that is out of control. And I don't care who that president is. I'm like, who can, who can shut up a president? That's What kind of power is that? So my question is, how come we as a Christian group of people cannot rise up and establish our own media outlets? How come we can't have, you know, Twitter 2.0 from Christian point of view? How come we can't have Facebook 2.0 from a Christian perspective? How come, how come we're being told what we can say and can't say on social media? How's that happening? We, we just, we're just like, we're just like lambs led to the slaughter. Oh, uh, well, over the cliff I go, whoa. And no one cares. No one does anything about it. We need Christian producers and Christian TV station owners and Christian news anchors and Christian reporters and Christian news investigators and Christian journalists and people that will create social pro- media programs that Christians will be proud to see, be able to say whatever they want to say and won't be canceled because we didn't say it right or the way they want us to say it. This is what God's asking. Where is the salt of the earth? Here's the deal about salt. We all hear about this. Oh, you're the salt of the earth. Well, sweetheart, if your salt isn't touching anything, you nothing but a piece of salt in the middle of nowhere. The only reason salt has value is because it touches your meat. It touches your green bean. It touches your asparagus. As long as it's sitting in that salt shaker, the world can care less that you're a salt. But the moment you come out of the shaker and you start touching something, suddenly everything changes. Come on, come on, turn, turn your neighbor and tell him, shake me up, baby. Shake me up, shake me up. I'm about to explode. So truthfully, church, we have got to grab a hold of the fact. I wish I could just somehow lay my hands on every single person in this room and just impart to you this understanding. I say it, I say it, I say it till I'm blue in the face. I know you hear it, but sometimes I don't think you hear it. You are the answer to Christ in you. Not you. You're a nobody. I'm a nobody. But the Christ in me is the answer for every ill of every society. The Christ in you 
your perspective, your viewpoint, your, the way you look at things, your faith that you have, your, your, your hope that you have, your, your ability to solve problems that you have. You are the hope of the world in your classroom, in your business office, uh, in your club, uh, in your schoolroom, in your classroom. some point, you're going to have to stand up and say, this is what I believe in. I'm sorry you don't agree with it. I got to share this story. I wasn't planning on sharing. I was in the seventh grade. I was in the seventh grade. And, and our teacher, our science teacher, started, we had books. Seven, I'm in seventh grade. And I've been around the block a while. And we're, I'm looking at pictures of monkeys and gradually evolving until I see this man. And she's talking about how we've evolved. And this is the first I'd ever heard of this. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, that's not what my Sunday school teacher said. And that's not what I read in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. I said, uh, excuse me, Mrs. Geeson. Yes, JP. <laughs> Are you telling me that I came from that monkey? That's, that's what we believe. That's what we believe. I said, who's we? She said, well, you know. Just, this, is, this is science. This is what we believe. It's a, it's a theory, but it's the best we got. I'm like, I think there's better solutions and better viewpoints than that. She goes, you do? I said, absolutely. She goes, you want to teach the class? I said, yes, I do. That's what she said. She asked me. She asked me, I told her. She asked me, I told her. She goes, well, then you can teach tomorrow. I said, I'll teach tomorrow. I'm like, walking out of that class, I'm going, she literally gave me a class to teach the gospel. I'm in seventh grade. Mother class, mother classmates, they, most of them, they, they didn't know God, they didn't know nothing. They're just like, what's going on? Is there another thing than a monkey? What's going on? What's that? And so I went home and I, I'm a seventh grader. And remember those little chick tracks? Remember those chick tracks that you, the little, you hand them out, they're about that, that long, you know, just a little, I'd have one about evolution. And so I went home and I memorized this thing and, and I made graphs and pictures and all this kind of stuff. And, and I came to class the next day and I was loaded with the bear. She goes, well, JP, you, you ready? And it was like all smart. I like, like, you know, she knew I wasn't going to do it. Well, you ready to teach class? I'm like, I am. <laughs> all right, then. There you go. And I got up there and, and literally I, I just laid out the story of creation, Genesis chapter 1, 2. And how we were fearfully and wonderfully made. How God has a plan for every one of us. He knew us even in the, our womb of our mother. Even before we were in the womb of our mother, he knew us. And I said, you can know him too. Just like I know him. She's like, uh -huh, that's, uh -huh, that's enough. I think that's enough. Thank you very much, JP. You can have a seat now. Somebody has got to say something. Sometime, somewhere. I'm, I'm thankful that we're starting to see grassroots movements of people saying, you know what, enough is enough. I'm not, this is not right. You can't push, push these kind of theories on our children in school. You can't, you can't begin to tell us how to talk and what we can say and can't say and that we can't talk about these kind of ills of our society. You, you can't do that to me. And, and I want to stand up and I'm going to talk. 
And if you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. You can say what you want to say, where you're going to say. But, but let me tell you something. Jesus stood up and Jesus talked. Now, not everybody liked him. There were a few that followed him. But let me tell you something. We're not talking about all those that didn't follow him today. We're still talking about those that did follow him today. In fact, we're talking about him. We're talking about a living Savior, a God that rose from the dead, lives again. Because I'm thankful Jesus talked. I'm thankful Daniel, he wasn't a Bible thumper. He didn't go into, you know, Darius's king's chambers and go, well, here, Darius, here's what the Word of God says. Well, there's what you ought to do, boy. That's what you ought to do. The Bible, Bible, Bible. He didn't do that. He was so smart, so wise. You can share, you know you can share the gospel message and salvation message with anybody, any unbeliever you want. They don't even know that it's coming from the Bible. You can say it like that in such a way that they get it. They understand. Do you, you, mean, you know, sir, you, you know there could be an, a divine designer that made you. You didn't say God. You say God, they don't hear you. You say divine designers, things like that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, an ultimate philosophical being that maybe was here all along. Really? You put it in palatable ways that they can understand and where they're at and we can be the soul. I, I gotta quit rambling. Okay, let's all stand. Let's stand, let's stand, let's stand. I'm just rambling. <laughs> come back next week. Can I come back next week? We'll continue, I promise you. So next week, what I, I'm going to share a little bit more about the different other spheres. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to, you know, have you come, those different ones in that sphere, and, and just pray for you and just lay our hands on you and, and just impart, man, boldness and life and wisdom to you. I think that's, that's what we need to do. But for this week, for now, I, I want you to ask the Lord this week. Here's your assignment. God, what is the problem I was born to solve? That's a, that's a big question. Turn to your neighbor, ask your neighbor that question right now. What is the problem you were born to solve? Come on, what is it? Come on, everybody. What is the problem you were born to solve? Ask them that question. Even by asking that question, the person's listening to you going, I'm, what? I, I don't know what you're talking No. We're born to solve problems. We're born to solve problems. God is going to help us do that. And in that problem-solving arena, you're going to find your purpose. Some of you are floundering because you feel like you have no purpose, but the reason why you're, you feel you have no purpose is because you haven't asked the Lord, what is the problem I'm supposed to solve? Once you find out the problem you're supposed to solve, then you'll begin to walk in your purpose. It's that easy. So let me pray. One more let me pray. Everyone bow your heads. In fact, would you do me a favor? Would you just like touch the person next to you on the shoulder? Just, just like kind of like a, a community. We're all in type of thing. We're all in. One, one team. One team. We're all in. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have ordained us for this specific time in the earth in this culture that we live in, not to sit idly by while it's stolen from us, not to sit by and fold our hands and wish it wasn't the way it is, but to stand up and to cancel the cancel culture. And we pray we lay our hands on that 
that man, that woman, that young person next to us right now, and we say, God, show them the purpose in which they were gifted to be in the problem they were gifted to serve. Father, in the name of Jesus, we submit ourselves as your servants to be the light of the world, to be bold as lions, gentle as a dove. And we thank you, Father, for causing that boldness to rise in our hearts, in our spirit, in our guts, and to declare those things that are wrong to be right. And we give you all the praise and all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Can we give Jesus a big hand?